Welcome to the Fantasy NASCAR podcast. I'm Race for the Prize. Go to racefortheprize.com, get more information about accessing the Fantasy NASCAR spreadsheet. We'll do a quick one today and talk about the Xfinity Series Daytona race. Simply just go over the sheet, see what you can get. If you decide, hey, this Race for the Prize guy, I like his data. Maybe I can use this for my Fantasy NASCAR lineups, make my life easier, make this whole thing a lot more fun. I've never really done Fantasy NASCAR before. This could be a really cool thing to do. All right, well, let's look at the sheet, see what you can get. Clearly, you're going to get the previous Atlanta results. Quasi-restrictor play, I think it's going to be more of a super speedway as we move forward. Agree to disagree. If you don't like to use that data, ignore that data. Hide those columns. There's plenty of Daytona data. You can see Austin Hill. Amazing job. Three, you know, two wins. A runner-up at his home track in Atlanta. Two Daytona wins. Pretty cool. You can see his average finish and where he would rank in terms of the average finish. So his average finish of 15th at Daytona is the fifth best. He also has truck series plate wins. Not so good at Talladega. You want to argue that Talladega and Daytona are different. We can go into all kinds of fits and tantrums about figuring that one out. Either way, if you had to ask me, is Austin Hill a pretty good plate racer or super speedway racer? Then yes, he is. But this podcast isn't necessarily about specific drivers that we want to play, although you can identify some on the screen. If you just listen to the podcast through audio, I would really suggest hopping over to the YouTube page so you can see these visuals, or if you already have access to the spreadsheet, then no big deal. We can see their average finish at the plate tracks and their rank accordingly. I also put 2023 stats in here and say, okay, what did he do? at Atlanta, Talladega, and Daytona in 2023 because there is so much turnover in the series. And if we want to rank drivers, I, w- I would prefer to rank drivers among active drivers. Uh, so that's that. You can see the race number. And then over here, this might be confusing to some people, probably not. So clearly I got top fives and top tens at Daytona. Right here I have non-top 20s. Why do I think this is a relevant statistic? Well, this is just basically a survival rate. At a plate race or a super speedway, you need to be able to finish. And an easy way to identify someone who got into a wreck or did not finish on the lead lap is they finished outside of the top 20. And so only Austin Hill, only two times out of 13 races, has finished outside of the top 20. And again, these numbers can be skewed because some guys have been in more races than others. We can simply go over here to the percentage rate and see that 15% of the time he's in the top 20. He's battling at the end. And the color coding is going to give you an idea of whether that's good or bad. It's the same data here for Talladega, top five, top ten rate, but he is finishing races. We can go a step further and see, all right, well, this is Daily Fantasy at DraftKings. I don't really care too much about where you finish. Are you going to win me money? Uh, an interesting thing about Austin Hills, I mentioned he won at 2023. He also won in 2022, but despite winning the 2022 spring Daytona race, the season opener, he only scored the sixth most fantasy points, but really shouldn't come as a surprise in the Xfinity Series. Top-tier equipment typically starts towards the front, and although Hill's a great driver, he can finish up front, he is limited in the amount of fantasy points that he can score because he just doesn't have access to the place differential bucket. Something to always keep your eye on. You can see that same data here for Talladega. And then we just take an average rank of those tracks, and overall, he has not necessarily been a good fantasy play. He's worked at times. But you would expect him, at least most DraftKings users are probably going to go, oh, yeah, Austin Hill's a good plate racer. I got to play him. Yes, he is a good plate racer, and he is good in real life. But in terms of fantasy, he hasn't quite been the greatest commodity. And then over here, you can see how many times he's appeared in optimal lineups. Five times. 
helped by the Atlanta races, but that among this field is fourth best. We can keep going over further. You can see some non-top 20 Atlanta data and then overall data where we combine everything. And you can see pretty solid results from Boston Hill. Okay, let's flip on to another sheet. Probably something a little bit more beneficial, or at least I, I always love going through this kind of data and to see, all right, what were the past winning lineups? We all have to construct lineups. We have to build lineups and we need some sort of approach. We need a guide. There's no hard and fast rules but there is pretty close to one, which is stack drivers in the back. You're gonna hear it all week, you've heard it forever. You're not new if you are new. We chase place differential at Daytona, Talladega, maybe not so much at Atlanta, but for sure at Daytona, we are targeting lesser drivers in the back, leaving tons of money on the table and chasing place differential. And it's statistically backed up and we can simply see through the previous seasons, you can see the starting position and you can see the finishing position. Guys like Casgrala, Timmy Hill can get top tens. They just survived the carnage, they can get there. I'm sorry if you've watched this stuff before or a super NASCAR fan and this is all obvious, but for some it may not be. And at the very least it's an introduction to the sheet and the data to support your decision-making process. And you can see they're starting in the back, they're moving forward. And this is not the greatest equipment. Chad Fincham in what was probably a Carl Long car, 35th to 14th. Doesn't quite get into the top 10, but starting almost dead last and other cars wrecking out, opens the door widely for Chad Fincham to score a lot of fantasy points. And you'll see the pattern consists and what we typically see if we go all the Daytona races since 2018, the inception of DraftKings Fantasy NASCAR in the Xfinity Series, a top six pick or an optimal pick typically starts around 24th, give or take. And that's a good place to start your process and draw a line in the sand. Some people will say, all right, it's 24. I'm going to set a sharp cutoff line at 20. And as I build my lineups, I want the majority, if not all of my lineup, to start 20th or worse. If you're starting inside the top 20, I'm just going to eliminate you from my pool immediately. You don't have to do that, but that is definitely one of the popular approaches. And you can vary that line wherever you want. You can deviate from that line wherever you want, but the data are clear. The average starting position of a top six driver is around 24th. Their average finish is seventh. Obviously you can't predict that before the race. You don't have that information. We don't know who will finish inside the top 10. And in some races, you might be a little bit more discerning and say, I don't know if this guy really can get really to the top 10. I don't know if Cesar Baccarella, although he's starting 32nd, can really get to around an average seventh position. Maybe you put that into your process. Maybe you just stick with what you have at the time, which is average starting position, and you hang on to that and not so much worry about average finishing position. You just assume that there's going to be wrecks, and you hope that your driver survives. There's enough carnage, and he makes it there. You can see the same data at all the other tracks. Talladega is pretty much identical. Atlanta, as we have talked about, has not quite fully formed into super speedway yet. I expect it to get there as drivers become more experienced and also moving this race to February with a cold track and adding more grip may increase driver skill.
their ability to pack draft, run side by side, and could turn this into a more volatile race. And then you combine that with it's going to be the second week in a row this season of plate racing, so it's not going to be a completely foreign skill to a lot of the drivers. Kind of early in the season, so we might get some inexperienced drivers in the field, but one would think that having a second super speedway race in a row, the drivers will be much more prepared. Now, you would say that, well, being more prepared should be less wrecks, but what we could also, and that's it's a valid point, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out, but we could also make the argument that if drivers are more experienced and are more comfortable, we could be less likely to see that single file freight train that can commonly form at Atlanta or in some plate races where drivers just aren't comfortable and they're out there turning laps. We could, I mean, I'm not expecting a dramatic shift, but given the nature of super speedway racing and pack racing, we don't really need a dramatic shift. We don't necessarily need these drivers to all of a sudden figure it out, have a light bulb go off in their head and all be aggressive for several hundred laps. We just need a couple more feisty laps. We just need a couple more dicey situations. And it's my perspective that running this race in cold temperatures after a previous super speedway is going to increase comfort, which sounds counterintuitive, but getting comfortable at a super speedway typically provides uh, negative results. You know, if drivers would all feel comfortable and good, they should be able to race, but just not in this style of racing. And the, the case in point, or the driver that I would point to is, think about this. What driver, we'll go look at the Cup Series. When you think of, oh, this guy feels really comfortable at the super speedways. Maybe too comfortable at the super speedways. Who is that driver? Yes, you've guessed it. Ricky Spinhouse Jr. Ricky got a couple wins, got real confident, real comfortable, and then proceeded to wreck a bunch of cars in subsequent plate races. That's my theory. Uh, that's not necessarily statistical, it's more anecdotal, but I think it's a valid point and worth considering. Let's look at some of the most recent, because you might say, oh, well, that's 2018. Let's look at uh, last year's Daytona. You got Ryan C. As we said in previous podcasts, the seed cars seem to always find their way into the top six. One of the seed cars at every super speedway seems to get there. You got Ryan Sieg, very experienced. The equipment's uh, it's fine. It's on par at the plate tracks, 38 to 7. Greg Alding, 33-9. Retzlaff, 23-6. Anderson, 37-15. Not so much worried about the names, although Jordan Anderson has been pretty good at restricted plate racing, and his equipment has been pretty solid in the Xfinity Series and in the Truck Series. And Alfredo, average starting position in that race, 27th. If you set your cutoff line at 20, it worked as long as you didn't go all in, and I'm only doing guys 20 at the back. There's always this one outlier or two outliers, especially in the Xfinity Series, maybe not so much in the Cup Series, but in the Xfinity Series, we typically do get one guy who's on the other side of the wall, on the other side of that iron curtain, that scores just enough place differential points and wins the race. Talladega last year, Parker Kligerman from the back to the front. That's a jamming spot. There's Cesar Baccarella, Alpha Prime. Yeah, he got in the top 10. He got the sixth. He did it. He finally made it. Joey Gase just out there avoiding the nonsense. Gets in there. Ellis as well. There's your outlier, Jeb Burton and Cole Custer. Right there on the edge of your cutoff line, similar to Anthony Alfredo. 
But again, you've got an average starting position of top six as 27th. Average finish of set sixth, which holds with the data that we talked about earlier. I think that's actually Daytona Fall. Fix that. Austin Hill in the spring race. Justin Allgaier. So this is a way you would have had to differentiate, go a different route. I don't like to do this. I'd rather just not use my brain and stack in the back. But if you're building enough lineups, you can definitely go with this 4-2 build. And when I mean 4-2, I mean stacking in the back with four and then taking two up front. This is the optimal lineup, not necessarily the winning lineup. So, yeah, you probably didn't get to Parker Retzlaff. I You could easily play Graf and Sieg and Clements. Maybe you really were super sharp and played Hill and Allgaier, but you missed on Retzlaff. But the winning lineup likely didn't have Retzlaff. They probably had someone else. We'll go see who would probably have been a situation that would have slid in that would have been a more obvious pick. Let's say you didn't take Parker Retzloff here scoring the fifth most fantasy points. He scores 47.4. Well, you would have more likely have been you know, playing Parker Chase. You lose three fantasy points. He only scores 44. But he starts 34. Or you start Josh Williams. So I would bet if you're to go back and look at the winning lineup from this contest, they probably missed on Retzlav because he didn't fit the criteria or the prerequisites because he was starting too close to the front. But playing Parker Chase or Josh Williams would have sufficed, and you likely would have won the, the big one. So, you know, it, when you see some of these top six lineups, like, oh, man, I could have never figured that thing out. I could have never put that lineup together. You probably didn't need to put this lineup together. You really just need to stick to a structure and a formula, and if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. We'll see it. The Atlanta data definitely – is a little bit different, but we don't have to worry about it this week. We can challenge ourselves with that and trying to unlock that mystery as we go. Uh, the last thing I'll look at in the sheet here is just simply calculating starting positions and whether they get into optimal lineups. So, oh, since 2018, looking at the optimal lineups at DraftKings, only four times has the pole sitter ended up in the optimal DFS lineup. Four times in all of those races, in all those positions, you got six spots per race in all the races, only four times. And you can simply see from you know, the front seven, they're not scoring fantasy points, and it's obvious because they don't have access to place differential points. These races get pretty crazy. Good drivers can have good days, but that's not fantasy. Bad drivers can have amazing fantasy days simply by not wrecking, simply by moving forward. Uh, here's a little bit of a unique one. Drivers starting ninth have popped up nine times. And, you know, in theory, that's because once you start to get here, these drivers starting inside the top 11, A, they have decent equipment. B, they're typically decent drivers. C, they're starting close enough to the front that they can finish and win the race, or at the very least, they ran fast in qualifying and are kind of motivated to win the race, not just survive the race. And then the last point is they have access to place differential, just enough place differential. So this driver starting ninth can score eight fantasy points by winning the race. That may not seem like a lot compared to some of the guys that can get place differential in the 20s. But when we just simply look at the cutoff scores from we'll look at last year's fall race, in order to get a top 10 DFS score, you need 45 points is what it looked like here. So eight of that come through place differential. 
and then you get another 30, 35 through finishing position, and you're right there. So those guys starting right on the edge of the top 10, there's a reason why they can score in those numbers. As we go further, we start to see the numbers really increase. We see that, all right, the guys that can get in the top 10, get place differential, where a lot of points are coming from. We see some really alarming numbers back here. 34th, 10 times, that driver has been optimal. 35th starter, seven times. The car in 36th, nine times. The car starting 37, eight times, 38, 10 times. It becomes pretty clear that you want to stack in the back. That's really all I've got for you today. Just give me some basic numbers, a little taste of the fantasy NASCAR. It's maybe sheet. If you like what you see, hop on over to RaceForThePrize.com. All you got to do is Venmo, PayPal, Cash App me. 30 bucks for the month of February or 12 bucks for a given weekend. And I'll throw the sheet your way, give you access, let you see all the projections, all the numbers, salaries, laps as they come in. Thanks, guys. Blessed to have you listening. Please subscribe, share, like. Love you guys. Triple X, fantastic.